We're exploring Ephesians together. We've been doing that for a couple, maybe a couple months now already. And it's going to take us quite a while. We're still in chapter 1. Although I would say this, as we get further into the book, we'll probably cover larger chunks at one time because the Apostle Paul in his teaching to the people of Ephesus um, repeats a lot of what he's saying. And so every time he repeats it, we won't necessarily go back and reteach the same thing. So some of the stuff we'll say, oh, we kind of covered this earlier, or he takes some larger chunks um, of, on one topic as we go further into the book of Ephesians. But for now, we're still in chapter 1. So grab your Bible if you have one and open to chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible underneath the seats here, there's, uh, there's Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep one of those. We'd love to have you have a Bible. And so open up the book of Ephesians. And as you're going there, let me kind of remind you where we've been at so far in the book of Ephesians. We started off with that big long run-on sentence that took us a number of weeks. And in that run-on sentence, we were looking at how Paul was saying that there are blessings available to Christians that are not available to anybody else in the world. That if you, get your, if you try to evaluate your life by blessings, comparing yourself to Donald Trump, uh, Paul is saying you're nuts because Trump can have some things because of money, but he can't have anything that's available to the child of God. And that what's available to the child of God is infinitely better than anything the world offers. And we looked at that for about, what, five weeks, those different blessings. He called them spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And Paul goes from that um, right into a prayer. And that's where we started last week. Um, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, is Paul recording a prayer that he prayed for the people of Ephesus. And, and I think we're so fortunate to have that because we get insight into powerful prayer and we also get insight into saying what did Paul think was, was so important that he would spend time talking to God about for the people that he loves. And so here, as we find in verses 15 to 23, is a prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying. And we understand this for Christian people. He's not praying it for the world. He's been making a great deal of emphasis about that in the book of Ephesians. That he's saying, I'm, really, I'm praying this and acting this way and say these things, particularly towards those who say that Jesus is their Savior and Lord. And he started that prayer. It's what we, what we looked at last week. He started the prayer by giving thanks uh, to God, thanks and praise to God. Um, for the situation that these believers that he's writing to found themselves in. He said that they were defined by faith and love. And he says those were the greatest hallmarks of Christianity. So he looked, he's thanking God. He goes, these people I'm praying for, um, they're, doing, they're doing really well. And so he begins to thank God that they're doing well and, he, and basically complimenting them in prayer for, for the fact that they are that they're expressing faith and love. And then he, he begins to make some requests to the Lord on their behalf. And the first request, it was in verse 17 of chapter 1, was that these Christian people and all people who are Christians would continue to advance in their relationship with God. Um, that they would begin to say, I, I, I'm not saved and stuck, but I need to move on. And he's saying, listen, that's a malady. It's a, a, a common possibility for Christians is they just get into, the, get, get into the faith and they never go any further and they don't experience the glories and the wonders of of being a child of God. And so he's praying for that in verse 17 that they, would, that they would not get saved and stuck. And so now we come further down the prayer and what we will look at today is Paul continuing to pray for these same people and he's praying um, that they would continue to advance in the relationship with God. And as he prays about that, um, he asks God that he would gain, get, give them enlightenment in, in three specific areas in their lives. That's what we come to today. He goes from just praising God and thanking them and encouraging growth to saying, but here's some specific things I want to pray for. And he's saying, God, grant these things. And he says the word enlightenment. Grant enlightenment. Help them to understand these, these, these areas in their life. And 
What I want to do today is I want to look at the first two of those three areas that Paul asks for God to give enlightenment to them or understand what he's saying here. He's saying, God, would you please flood them with light so they can understand what's going on in these areas. And I think he's saying like this, he goes, you know, God, I know these people and they're a little foggy about this. And maybe they don't really get it all the way and and he's interacted with them for years and he's like, God, give them some enlightenment. Help them to see this more clearly. Shine the light of your of your spirit into their hearts. Open up some a sense of of, of openness and, and brightness in them so they can really understand about these these three areas. And it's really my hope that today that that the same thing would happen for us that that the, as Paul prayed for them, I think he's also in essence praying for us and he's saying, God, would the people of Portview Church today um have some enlightenment in these areas? God, could you flood us with your light so that we can understand the things um, in our lives that you think are really important? And um, I think what we've done already today is we've been saying we're open to God. Right? Isn't that kind of the, what's happened this morning? We're saying, God, we're, we're open to you. We're worshiping you. We're, we're interacting with you. We're aware of your nearness. And so we say now, God, would you enlighten us in the same way? So, so grab your Bible and let's see what he says are areas that Christian people need enlightenment in. Ephesians chapter 1. Start in verse... Well, we, I'm going to just, just talk about verse 18 today, but let's read 18 and 19 because you can't hardly separate them. Next week we'll look at verse 19 and, and beyond. It says, actually in two weeks, I pray, here's Paul saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay? He's saying, God, flood some light into their hearts. So there's some darkness right now, God. Not meaning evil, but meaning uh, they don't really get it. They, they need a fuller understanding, a fuller experience, so they can implement it into their lives. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the, three things he's going to say, the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now notice something in those two verses. There's The word what is used three times. He says, uh, God enlightened them so they would know what is something, what is something, what is something. These three what's precede the three things that Paul prays that we would find enlightenment in or understand to the place where it is so real to us that it's actually integrated into our lives and it changes how we live. In verse 18, the two of those two what's precede these two requests. He says, God, I pray you'd give them enlightenment so that they would know, number one, what is the hope of his calling. We're going to talk about that. He says, I pray you'd give them enlightenment so that they would know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. So these are two things that Paul asks God to give Christian people enlightenment and if he thought it was important for them, and you may read right over this. Sometimes you read scripture, you read right over something, you go, that's no big deal. It is a big deal. The Apostle Paul is praying for three specific things for Christian people. If he's praying it for them, I want him praying it for me. I want, it, I want these things to be important for me too. So, the, so let's look at these two, and let's start with the, the first one. He says, I pray you'd have enlightenment so you would know what is the hope of his calling. So what's Paul praying for here for, for Christian people? Well, we can figure it out, I think, by looking at the two main words, the word hope and the word calling. And let's think about calling first. 
Notice how he defines calling here. He says he's talking about his calling. Who's his in that situation? God's calling. He's saying, I want you to understand about God's calling. Friends, that's dealing with the idea of salvation, of God calling a person to himself for salvation and restored relationship that gets broken because of of sin in the world. And there's something really important here that we need to understand about, about salvation, about coming to know Jesus. And it's this, is that God calls people to himself. The salvation is God's choice of you, not your choice of him. You see, God, God's call goes out to all humanity in a general sense. And then when someone, somehow by the initiation of God still within them, someone responds to the offer of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus, then they're saved. But it must never be forgotten that God is the initiator in the situation. He's the caller. Someone is saved because God calls them to, them, to come to Him. Salvation is not man-centered. It's God-centered. and He does the calling and we do the responding. And I remember talking to a number of people, um, kind of training them as, as new, new preachers and to do public services. And, and a lot of times I would see they'd really struggle with trying to help people understand that, that they need to come to terms with Jesus. I remember one, one person in particular, I really talked to them a lot about that. And I said, you've got to understand something. If you think your job is to stand in front of a group of people and convince them they need God, you've got it backwards. God's the one who does the calling. We're just helping people have an opportunity to respond to what God is doing. It's all God-centered. Do we really believe the truth of what we talked about at communion? God's here. He really is right here, right now. And it's God-centered. All our Christian walk is God-centered. Our very initial coming into the faith is God-centered. Salvation is not man-centered. It's God-centered. He does the calling. We do the responding. And, and, and I think we need to really wrestle with this in our day and age because we've boiled salvation coming to Christ down to just somebody deciding. They look at some evidence and they, they listen to a sermon and they go, I think I'm going to decide to try Jesus. You don't try Jesus. You respond to his call. People say, well, how does that work? One person hears it. I don't know. I have no idea how that works. What I do know is salvation is not man-centered, it's God-centered. He does the calling and we do the responding. Now, God's call to people, what's he do? He calls people to himself. He calls them to be his very own children, the Bible says, to enter into his family. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, John says it like this. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. You know, He's saying, I'm calling you into my family. And friends, here is where the second part of this first prayer comes in. There is great hope in the person's life when they respond to God's calling them to come into their family. They respond, they say, I hear your call, and I say yes, and now I become part of your family. That that brings hope into your life. And here's Paul's prayer about this. He says that Christians would really know, they'd really experience, they'd be illuminated to the hope that they have because God is the one who called them. You see, men without God are really hopeless. Whether they recognize it or not, they're hopeless. They don't have any real hope for the future. They can't have a confidence in their tomorrows. They may try to plan for the future and to study and to scheme and to strategize, um, 
And, and a lot of their studying, scheming, and strategizing may turn out to, to show them, oh, look, at, I've made some good choices, and I'm, and I'm really successful, and, and look at me, I, I've done it. But they may try to do all that stuff, but no person knows what tomorrow holds. No one. We don't know if tomorrow's going to hold famine or abundance. We don't know if tomorrow is going to result in war or peace. We don't know if next month we will walk in weakness or strength because of the things that we encounter in our life. You know, see, to a man without God, it's just a guess at best. Now, some are good guessers, but it's a guess at best. Some are really intelligent and they make good guesses. And the world celebrates them and says, oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's cool. That's nice maybe, but it's still pretty hopeless. But God gives hope to those who respond to his call. He gives hope for today and hope for eternity. For today, hope springs from the realization that God is sovereign. That's one of the principal understandings of God revealed through Scripture, that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything. That's what sovereignty means. And knowing that he, knowing this, friends, knowing that God loves me, and wants the best for me, and that's what Scripture teaches, and knowing that he's sovereign in control of everything, puts us in a position of hope. Because hope, what really hope is? What is it? It's really simply a positive outlook on life. That's what hope is. I'm hopeful. I have a positive outlook on, on what's going to happen. Well, having this understanding that God loves me without condition and He's in control of everything and I'm in a right relationship with Him puts me in a position of hope, a position of having a positive outlook on life. Because I know God can come through in any situation because He's sovereign. And then I know God will come through in any situation because He's love. Friends, that's the wellspring of hope. A child of God has great hope that their life is secure in the hands of God. And, and I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in another place in Scripture. Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 8. And, I, and we have a slide. You can follow along on the, on the slide if you want. Romans chapter 8. Where Paul is talking about hope that we have in this life. Starting in verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. It says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul writes us a guy who's been through everything. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten, left for dead. He's been through all this. He goes, nothing. And he walked in this hopeful, loving relation with God. He says, nothing can separate me from the reality of that love if I really have it. Hope. I want you to notice something about that text. Paul never says that a Christian won't see difficulty. This is one of the dilemmas for people who aren't really Christians. Is They say, but I look at Christians and I see that they struggle too and, and I'm actually doing better than them, so why would I possibly want to be them? Well, Because they don't understand that we have something you can't see. It's called hope. 
It changes everything. I don't have to struggle and stress and try to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow and scheme and plan because I really believe that it's all about me. And I've been pretty good at making better decisions than the guy down the street, but it's all about me when I'm in Christ. He's always everywhere right now, right here, and he loves me. He's in control of everything, and he loves me. So I have a positive outlook because I'm hopeful because he's got me right in the palm of his hand. I'm in his family. Notice what Paul says about this in Romans 8. He never says that a Christian won't see difficulty. In fact, just the opposite. He says, there's times you may feel like a sheep going to the slaughter. That's what he says in, in Romans 8 there. He said, we're like sheep going to the slaughter. And people are like, ah, oh, look at that. Yeah, what good does it do you to have Jesus in your life? He says, but yet, we have hope. He said, our hope is that no matter what happens, nothing will be able to separate me or you from the love of God. And friends, that's something you can only exp- you can only know if you've experienced. You can only think, speculate if you haven't experienced it, but if you've experienced genuine relationship with Jesus and the outpouring of his love into your life, which results in these heavenly blessings, these, these blessings in heavenly places, um, somebody else can look at it. You can try to describe it, but they can't really know it. But when you have the hope, you say, but you look at them and you kind of smirk and you go, you think you have it all figured out, but you really aren't that smart. Because God is smarter. Our hope is that no matter what happens, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. Quite the opposite. Ask a true Christ follower what they experienced during the darkest of times in their life. And so often you will hear that it was in the darkest time when they experienced the love of God greater than they ever had before. Friends, this is the hope of his calling. If you are a child of God, he has called you and he does have you in the safety of his care. And I think what the Apostle Paul would want us to do, I think what the Spirit of the Lord would want us to do is ask ourselves a question today. Are we living with that hope today? Are we living with a positive view of life because we have responded to God's call and we understand that nothing can separate us from his love and his care? Because that's hope. It's all God-centered. It's not us-centered. See, that's Paul's first prayer request for his people here. He said, I pray that, that you would have, um, you'd, you'd be illuminated to understand the hope of his calling you. Well, let's move on to the second one because it builds on this one. It's this, Paul's second prayer for enlightenment. He prays God enlighten them so that they would know what? What are the, rich, are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, not only does a child of God have a great hope because of God's calling them to himself, but they also have a great inheritance awaiting for them with all the saints. Now, question. What is the rich and glorious inheritance that awaits the child of God? It's heaven. Heaven, eternity with God unobstructed. Paul is praying that we may come to see more and more of what lies ahead for the Christian. He does not want heaven to be something remote and strange to us, but for it to be something that we hope for and we long for. A place of deliverance from this world of sin's corruption and habitation with God himself forever. Friends, Paul's hope is that heaven will have the place in our hearts that it is meant to have. It's meant to be seen as a reward. 
for a life lived with God. See, you need to understand something. And sometimes, it's, I think, especially in a world that worships health and longevity, and I get it, I don't want to be unhealthy, and you know, I understand the idea to want to live a long life. But life is intentionally limited and short by God's design. See, in God's mercy, what's the scripture say? He took mankind out of the garden after the fall in order to keep us from the tree of life. Why? It's specifically what it says in the book of Genesis, why he did it. He says, so that we would not live eternally in a state of sinful corruption. He says, if you eat it, you'll die. Death was a gift. It was an escape from living in an eternity in the state of sinful corruption. In God's grace, life is short, but heaven is eternal. And I want to show you an illustration to help make this point. You thought there was a garbage can up here because we're throwing stuff away. And it's an illustration that's not new to me. Matter of fact, it's, it's been, I've, I've used similar ones before. And, and I saw recently um, Francis Chan did something similar to this and I saw it posted on Facebook. It's what reminded me of it. and It was perfect timing. And it went something like this. He's trying to illustrate the idea, idea of life and eternity. And he wa- I want you to imagine with me that that little black end of the rope is a human life. That's how long it is. Some are a little longer and some are a little shorter. But that represents basically, and it's not black because black is bad, it's black because it was the only marker I had that would stick out on the, on the white rope. I wanted red, but I didn't have a red marker that was working to color it in. So, uh, so that represents our life. You know, there's a little period of time. God said I intentionally make it short. The book of James says it's but a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Um, Psalm says that maybe 70 years and for strength, 80 maybe. And that's pretty much, we live in a world where the average life expectancy of a man in America is what, about 80 years old. And when I live in Cambodia, I have a life expectancy of a man who's 41. Now, it's all about the same. 40, 80, it's all about the same when you think about it in light of how God wants us to think about it. He's saying that's your life, but he says eternity goes on and 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 on so far longer and on longer and when you think it's done, it still goes on. It goes on, and it goes on. And it never ends. It just keeps going on, and on, and on, and on. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to understand, that, that life, he wants us to get this understanding in our mind, to recognize this truth that he's saying, that, that this is our life on earth in our fallen state, and God shortened it on purpose because... He loves us so much he didn't want to live in that corruption. But he makes an offer that says, life just, he says, listen, life just goes on and it 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 never, ever, ever stops. And the question that he wants us to think about is why in the world we live our entire lives thinking this is all there is when he says in his word, that's the truth. That's the reality. On and on and on and on and on. and it, 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 Friends, it keeps going on. It just keeps going on. And Francis Chan asked this question recently. And this is why, what made me really stick with him. He's talking about Western civilization. And he said, 
not only that, he goes, what's puzzling to his mind is, how come when most people just focus on this, he goes, but in Western civilization, we only focus on this little spot right here. We call it the golden years or retirement. He says, we live all of this time trying to get to this little time, which really we think is going to last that long, but it really lasts oftentimes very briefly. Sometimes it drags on, but it's not as good as we thought it was going to be. It's not so golden after all. And we don't even really want to, we don't even think about so much living down here. We just are always focused there. But then it's, we think it's over right there. But is it over right there? It goes on and on and on and on and on. It never ends. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to, to somehow put in our lives. He wants this illumination from God to these, to these people and to us that says, listen, there's this incredible eternity waiting out there. It's forever. He wants us to understand that we have this, this whole entire eternal life. And he calls it a rich and a glorious inheritance. He says eternity with God. Pray God they would have illumination. God, they would get this idea of this eternity, this rich and glorious inheritance with the saints. And it's interesting that he just says that. Rich and glorious inheritance. Four words. And I think it's interesting because I think it's the best he can do. Because words can't really describe what all of this looks like. Words can't really describe what in the world eternity is going to be. There's been times in Scripture that I try, but if you look at Scripture, I don't understand how people write books about heaven because there's such little said about it. It just says that it's true, it's eternal, gives some insight into it, but very little, because his words just can't describe it. You can't really put it into words. The Apostle John tried one time to describe heaven, and he saw a vision, it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, he says a vision of heaven, and he tries to explain in words his vision. And in his vision, he's constantly saying, it's something like, it's kind of like gold, it seems like a throne. And he's saying all these things are similes and metaphors where he's trying to describe it's a vision he sees of heaven, but he's trying to put it in terms of what he knows in the world, but what he knows in the world doesn't really compute for what he's seeing, so he does his best to try to, to, try to describe this vision. And I want us to listen. You can do one of two things. We're going to listen to Revelation 21 and part of 22. And it's a video that comes with it. And the video does its best for some guy to try to say, maybe what did he see? At best, it's poor. <laughs> you know, it's kind of cheesy. But he's trying to say, this guy saw a vision. And, and, and so either I want you to watch the video, which isn't the real point, it's the words, or close your eyes and listen to the words. And let's hear John trying to describe eternity in heaven. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, 
and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life.
And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. his best to describe to us what he saw in a vision of heaven. Some of it was an angel telling him, write these things down. Some of it was him trying to describe what he saw in a vision. And what we have is this incredible picture. He talks about a new heaven and a new earth, new Jerusalem, that it's going to be a place of unmatched splendor and greatness. But best of all, what he focuses on It's a place where God will interact with us in a way that we cannot experience fully in our current earthly state. And it will be forever. He says there's not going to be a need for a son because God will be the light. He says we'll be walking in that reality of God's presence where now the Bible says we see through a glass dimly and although we understand the love that we have for God and we have, we have blessings that, that come to the child of God that no one else can understand and experience without being a child of God, but that's just the teeny, teeny beginning of it all. Paul's prayer for us is that our hearts would be enlightened to the reality of heaven, that we would live and we'd make decisions and we'd establish our values in light of the fact that heaven is forever and this life is but a vapor. Hope for today, being in the family of God, and heaven for tomorrow. And my hope is that God would enlighten our hearts to live in the reality of those truths. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we simply join our hearts and we pray with the Apostle Paul. Lord, it's amazing that we can have confidence in the fact that we're reading what he wrote 2,000 years ago to a group of Christian people who are probably not that dissimilar to us. And he prays that we would understand, we would have illumination, that we'd understand the hope of his call in our lives and that we would understand what heaven holds, the inheritance we have with the saints. That eternity is forever and that life is really, really short. Now God, we thank you for the gift of this life you've given us. You tell us you want us to live it and live it abundantly. That no one in this planet should enjoy it the way we do because we're your children. We walk in your fullness and your goodness. 
But Lord, I would just ask this. That the thinking that kind of seeps into our hearts and our minds about what really sets our priorities and sets our values, that Lord, you would help us to see those in light or in comparison to the reality of eternity. That we really see our lives as in truth. We wouldn't deceive ourselves. We'd see that life's but a vapor. That's what you say in the book of James. It's just here and it's gone. But that eternity is forever. Lord, help us to live lives just in light of that truth with incredible joy and hope. Knowing that when we walk with you, we walk with you for eternity. That eternal life begins the day we come to know you as our Savior and Lord. And it never stops. That we're living, if we know you today, we're living an eternal life today. And we won't have to face second death, that Revelation uh, 21 talked about. We won't have to face a second death. Because we're set, we're, we're set free from or, or brought out of the possibility of a second death. So Lord, give us illumination in our hearts to embrace this. So it literally changes how we look at life things that made us angry or frustrated before, now we understand the light of eternity. We ask this, what will it matter in a hundred years? What will it matter in a thousand years? What will it matter in ten thousand years? All that we know really matters is that we're walking with you. So Lord, we ask ourselves that question today, this question. Number one, are we really walking with you? You're calling out to humanity. We have a choice do we respond or don't we respond? And so, Lord, I would just ask this for every person in this place, that as you call out, that we would, we would say yes to you. And then we would walk as your disciples, as followers of you. Because that's what you call us to. You don't call us to a decision. You call us to a lifetime of, of walking with you because it lasts for eternity. And so, Lord God, I pray for every person in this place. That if anyone would say that we, I don't really know Jesus. Not as my Savior, not as my Lord. I know about Him as a historical figure, but I don't really know Him. That right now, in this, the depths of their heart, if they hear your call, they would say yes. Something inside is saying, this is for me. That's your voice. We just say yes. And be open now to a life with you. Lord, for your church, those who say have said yes and will say yes and continue to say yes, I pray that you would give us the gift of causing us to have this illumination in our lives so that we would live with lives focused on eternity so we would walk in great hope and great confidence and great joy. So Lord, just breathe that upon us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. I encourage you, if you spend some time praying today, spend some time at this is the front praying. If you need prayer, I'll be here to pray with you. Otherwise, walk in the reality of the hope that you have in Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.